this time, Curtis Whiteley will bring the sermonette. Walking out on holy ground. Curtis? Thank you, Ken. I appreciate it. Well, good afternoon. It's good to see everyone here today uh, on this special day, as it was said in, in the meeting room, our double dip holy day here with the Sabbath and a high day. And uh, man, I, I don't know about you, but things are just, they're busy. I mean, we've had a lot going on uh, in our lives, probably. Uh, this is a busy time of year. Uh, and I think that, you know, a lot of us that are going to the feast, of course, it's coming up in a few days. A lot of us have duties. Maybe we're speaking or uh, teaching a class uh, or we're you know, song leading or doing some sort of activity. And last Thursday is when we started our fall uh, Holy Day season. And then next week we leave to go off to the Feast of Tabernacles or wherever we're going. And then couched in the middle of these two feasts of the feast season here is this day, the Day of Atonement. And I was thinking about how this day was in the middle of such a busy time. I mean, a lot of us are, I mean, if, you, if you're getting ready to go somewhere uh, and you're working, you're trying to maybe coordinate activities uh, to, to, for when you're gone, maybe you have things you need to you know, get done before you leave. Uh, if you have small children like I do, it means you're going to be packing up and almost renting a U-Haul and leaving and moving. And so it's, it's a busy time. It's a busy time, and it's a time that's easy for us not to just stop and kind of think about what it is we're doing and why we're you know, trying to get all these things in order. I can't just, you know, I can imagine, uh, or I can imagine rather, if you didn't know, uh, we have a couple familiar faces over here. To my left, your right. That has come home. It's moved back to Tulsa. And when they left, there was two of them. Now there's four of them. So I don't know what they've been doing, by the, why they've been gone. But, if the, but uh, we're really glad to have them back. And I don't know if they really wanted that announced, but too bad, I guess. I'll, I'll hear about it later. But I was just thinking about how, how easy it is. I mean, we're here afflicting our soul, as the scripture says. You know, we know this is the Day of Atonement. Uh, and it's a special day, and there's a lot of history about this day. And I was trying to think, you know, in a short message, in a short devotion, what could I talk about that even touches the surface about the meaning and the magnificence of this day? And so some of the things I started thinking about, which was kind of on my mind lately because I had been reading it, was Exodus, the 32nd chapter. Not just specifically Exodus 32, but I was wanting to kind of read this story and talk about it a little bit. Because when we fast, when we afflict our souls, we learn a little bit about ourselves. So let's go to Exodus, the 32nd chapter. We're going to use this story to think about some of the things that is a part of our human nature. Let's go to Exodus 32, and I'm going to pick it up in verse, verse 1. And I just want to kind of go into it. It says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, and your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool. 
and he made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. If we just review the context of this story, most of us have probably read it many times, the story of the, the golden calf in Israel. And Moses is up on the mountain and he's receiving the instructions from God. And down below the mountain, the people had become impatient. And I was thinking about this story, and we've studied it before, many of us, but I think there's a lot of typical human characteristics that we can find in the story, specifically negative characteristics about our human nature. You know, number one, I think this story shows us the impatience that we as human beings can have sometimes, which is very typical. I mean, even if we're patient people, there is a limit to our patience, and that's something we always try to work on. You know, it's it's kind of a quality to try to work on our patience. You know, as children, uh, we have a lot here. Many of us have had small children, or we have small brothers and sisters. And we can see examples of impatience demonstrated all the time. Because children, they, have, they, they don't have those coping skills to be able to, you know, deal with not getting what they want when they want it. And a lot of times, it has to do with faith. It's like, look... You can have that in 30 minutes or in a little while. No, I don't want it in a little while. I want it right now. And it's almost as if there's like a lack of faith, like that little while is really going to come. And for some children, maybe it doesn't come. Maybe that's the way the parent is just trying to kind of get their focus off, and they're like, hey, I know what's going on here. I know what a little while means. It means I'm just going to forget about it. But in life, we can kind of revert back to that little children-like or childlike nature of being impatient. I think that this story also shows, which I think is a great tendency, especially among people in religious circles, it's a tendency for human beings to go after the desires of their hearts, especially when it comes to God. You know, in this story, it's almost presented as if the absence of Moses made the people uncomfortable. And we have many examples of the children of Israel becoming uncomfortable. One of them was before this, whenever they were being led out of Egypt, they saw all the miracles, they saw all these wonderful things. They're led out of, the, out, of, out of Egypt, and they turn around and they see the Egyptian armies coming after them, and they look at Moses and they're like, what's going on? Why'd you bring us out here to die? They forget what God had just done in bringing them out. They became uncomfortable, and when they're uncomfortable, they made rash decisions. And that's what human beings do today. To offset their uncomfort, the people took matters into their own hands. You know, when we're uncomfortable, when we don't feel like we're in control, there's a sense of vulnerability that we have. And we want to do something to take control back. And Israel, in this instance, did. They thought they were taking control back. They were doing what they wanted to do. So they took this material, uh, this gold, these earrings, and it says that they fashioned this image into a golden calf. Literally, what they're doing is, is that they're shaping God into an image that they saw fit. Shaping God into an image that they saw fit. In reality, this was the image of themselves. This was the image of their heart's desires. We know that this is idolatry. We know that this is an example of physical idolatry. But there's also a spiritual element here. 
There's also a spiritual idolatry that's taking place because this golden calf incident did not just start out with people just deciding, but it has started out with people's hearts. Now, m- many of us today, we think, well, you know, we don't commit adultery. We don't do those things. You know, we don't make, you know, we don't take materials, get tools, shape things up, bow down to it. We don't do those things. But can we spiritually do this? Can we spiritually do this? Can we today, with the spiritual fashioning tools of our hearts, of our minds, of our human reasoning, sometimes make an idol and think and convince ourselves that that is God and we're worshiping the God of the Bible? This is an example of how human beings sometimes have a tendency to forsake the things of God and go after the things of their heart. The story also shows the forgetfulness and boredom that humans sometimes can be succumbed to. Again, making them make bad and rash decisions. You know, there seems to be an apathy that had set in with Israel. Moses is up on the mountain. People, they're just, they don't seem like zealous anymore. They're not interested. They're not, you know on fire for maybe the things that they had just saw. Previously to this, they had just entered a covenant with God. They just agreed to all the things, and all of a sudden we turn over and look what they're doing. They're turning back. And this is a process that's continually repeated in Israel's history. There's a scripture in the New Testament, the book of Acts. We don't have to turn there. You can write it down. You can if you want. But it's an interesting scripture because it has to do with Stephen and when he's kind of retelling Israel's story. And he's doing so from a Christian perspective and trying to uphold that Jesus has come and fulfilled these things. And that passage says, when he's referring to the people that had decided to make this molten calf, he says that our fathers, in Acts 7, chapter, verse 39, our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, talking about Moses and talking about you know, being led by Moses to God. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt. In their hearts they turned to Egypt. You know, let's go to turn to Leviticus 23. We're going to come back to this story in a minute. Leviticus 23, we all know that this is the chapter to go to, to look for the holy days of the Bible it has a nice chapter that presents all of them. There's other passages that give more descriptions. If you want to look more about the descriptions of, of this day, you can go to Leviticus, the 16th chapter. But I just want to read one passage. Verse 32 of Leviticus 23, it says, It shall be to you, talking about this day, this day of atonement, this tenth day, it shall be to you a solemn rest, a Sabbath of solemn rest. And you shall afflict your souls, and on the ninth day of the month of evening, that would have been last night bringing in this tenth day, from evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. And when we go back and we look at this, this magnificent ceremony that has so much you know, to tell us, so much to explain to us, you know, so many details. We see that the children of Israel, there was explicit instructions on how to carry out this ceremony on this day, this elaborate ceremony, this long ceremony. On this day, uh, some things that we know took place was the high priest would the one day of the year enter into the Holy of Holies to make atonement on behalf of the people. We know that there's a part of the ceremony that involves two goats. and We've looked at in the past maybe the significance of that. 
We also see that there is a part of the ceremony that is preparing the temple or the tabernacle uh, for this ceremony to take place. But all in all, one of the interesting things about this story is that it requires holiness. It's what it is. It's a story about holiness. You know, we see the priests, and we know we've seen the, you know, the typology, and we've talked about that, and the typology of, of, of the high priest with Christ and all the different things. But it's very interesting, the duties that the priest had on this day. Specifically, how they had to wash themselves. How they had to enter into this tabernacle, into this Holy of Holies, in a specific way. Clean and pure. There were specific garments that they were supposed to wear. Specific types of washings that they were supposed to do. And different parts of the ceremony actually call for different garments to be put on. This was a ceremony that demonstrated the need for holiness among God's people. An afflicting of our souls in awe of God. And the things that he's done for us. I just want to kind of think about some of the implications of this story. I mean, there's many we can think about. But when I was coming up with this message today, I was trying to think of what are some things that we can think about. I mean, that's not cliche. That's not something we hear year in, year out, year in, year out. And some of those things is good to hear year in, year out. It's an annual you know, reminder. It's an annual rehearsal. But I was trying to jot down my ideas, and the thing that came to my mind was not forgetting about the holy ground that we have entered. Entering into that relationship with God, it's a holy God. You know, the gods that were contemporary of the ancient Israelites through the classical period, which is what they call, were gods that were typically uh, designated to a specific geographical area. And people believed in many different gods, but typically they had an idea about gods. That god was the god of the sea, or that god was the god of the sun, that god was the god of, of the wind or the river. In contrast, Israel's God is not limited to some geographical area. It's not limited to some specialty of power, but is all-encompassing, is all-powerful, is almighty, is completely sovereign over this entire universe, and also the purpose and reason that this universe came into being. Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 6, Jesus says this in one of his Beatitudes. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. And I was thinking about that scripture, and I was thinking about how does our hunger and thirst for food and water compare to our hunger and thirst for God's righteousness? You know, looking back at that story of Israel, you know, in that moment of time, the ancient Israelites, I think that all human beings were present metaphorically. All human beings have demonstrated those human tendencies to fall short. All of us have been tempted to slip back into our old ways. All of us have been tempted to return in our hearts to Egypt. All of us have been tempted to mold God into an image that we see fit. And there are many examples of this all around the world. Just give you an illustration real quick. Thinking about the world and people's thinking. In my hand is an iPhone 6. It's been all the rage for the last two weeks. The months leading up to it, it's been a big deal. In fact, people were even sleeping 
at the Sprint, the AT&T stores leading up to its release. For many people, this is just one example of how limitless human beings are. Couple this and combine this with the scientific and medical advancements. This is just an example of how people can be fooled into thinking that humans have no limits, that we are in control, that we are self-sufficient, that we have the power. But it doesn't take long to think and to realize how absolutely foolish this really and this thinking is. I don't know what time it is. I guess it's around 1.20, but we're about 18 or a little bit over 18 hours of abstaining from food and water. And I think it's very easy just in this 18 and almost in a half hours to realize just how vulnerable we human beings really are. We could go and turn on the news and see other things that show us and demonstrate the vulnerability and the incapability of humans to deal with our issues. We can see never-ending conflict all around the world, specifically in the Middle East. We can see that people behead other people and call it pious. We can see epidemics wiping out large bands of people with seemingly no medical solution at all. We can see that this is a world that is in much need of God's reconciliation. The key idea is that we need God to do these things. We're not self-sufficient. We can sometimes think we are, but we're not. And no matter how innovative humans can be, and no matter how technologically, medically, scientifically advanced we can get, we are still nothing but a dependent and limited species when it comes to this world. You know, this day has a lot to do with this world being reconciled back to God once and for all. It brings up images of, you know, what things should have been. And then also brings into mind the plan that God has began to start putting us on the right track to have this journey, to start going towards the direction God wants us to go as far as a human species. That is, towards an end goal where God eventually will fix all of the things that we have got ourselves into. And we are still absolutely and holistically helpless in removing the evils and sins away from both our lives and this world. Thinking about this day, there's many things we can think about. But specifically, there's one of them I want to ask you to think about with me. And thinking about the holiness of God. And thinking about the grand uh, ceremony that took place. And, and the things that we can learn from that. And coupling that and seeing our Savior, Jesus Christ, and how he has demonstrated this in reality in a spiritual way. I'd like for us just to remember the holiness that God has called me and you to. I'd like for us to just remember on this day, in this busy season, with all of these things going on, distractions around the world, to pause, kind of like the scriptures tells us to, many times throughout the scriptures, and just look and just consider in awe the magnificent and glory of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And remember that we, as we have entered into a covenant relationship with God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, that we have decided to walk on to holy ground.